and they were given uh, sovereign rights to everything. No more taxes, no more duties, no more toll roads, bridges, ferries, everything was free to them. And they had a fleet of ships. Well, they became fractional bankers. The skull and crossbones was the Templar flag on the oceans of the Mediterranean. When they wanted to take the cargo off of another vessel, they ran up their flag and the vessel better stop and let them have the cargo. If not, they ran a red flag up underneath it, which meant no quarter, and they killed everybody on the crew and sunk the boat. So, and that's your banking working with the political powers of this country. They run us into the ground, they bankrupt us, buy us as a fire sale and go merrily down the road. And people don't realize that money's being siphoned out of this country in buckets and they have no idea that's going on. They don't have any idea what their budget is. They've never seen the PL of their state. It's out there. You gotta know where to go to get it. The CAFR funds are available. You can find them, but they're hard to find. Did you know that over 900 plus diseases are simply due to nutrition? That problems such as heartburn, insomnia, asthma, infertility, dementia, Alzheimer's, thyroid disease, and so many more can be solved if you just correct your mineral or vitamin deficiencies? ControlYourHealth.Care has answers for you for these ailments and so many more that is based on decades of research, including over 26,000 autopsies, 10 million blood chemistries by over 15,000 holistic doctors and scientists. You will see how the right, highly absorbable nutrients that your body is craving will make a huge difference in how you feel. Start now on a journey towards superior health that will literally change your life. For the month of March, we've extended the email only offer to all my listeners. And so you can save up to 20% by using the codes on the screen or the codes below at controlyourhealth.care. Remember, use the codes below and save up to 20% at controlyourhealth.care. You can also find that at sarahwestall.com under shop. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have a really, really good guest coming to the program. His name is Bobby Graves, and he has been uh, an historian. It's been his passion his whole life, and he's been around the planet for almost eight decades, so he's been doing this for a while. And I first saw him on uh, this video series on YouTube. It didn't have that many views, but somebody sent it to me and said, God, this guy's great. And I watched it and I was just mesmerized by him. And I think it was like a three or four part series about the true history of the United States. And so I said, I have to have this guy on. And he's part of the assembly in Oregon, you know, the state assembly process through Anna Von Wrights. And we started talking. I want to do about a five or six sessions with him on the history of the central banks and the United States and get really deep in what it means to be sovereign and what makes him different than so many other people is that he gives you the history, such a history buff that he goes through every time he brings something up, he gives you this whole backstory of the history of it, which is absolutely phenomenal and so fascinating. So I hope you enjoy him as much as I do. I, I just am soaking this up and I want to learn a ton from him. I interrupt him here and there because he just talks a lot and I interrupt just to say, okay, wait, wait, I need to ask, ask you a little bit more detail on what you just said because I didn't, you know, we need to. So that's what I do. But in general, he talks the whole time and then I ask him to clarify things along the way. And I don't care. I just want to learn from him. I hope you guys are the same way. And I hope he motivates you to get involved in your own assembly as you learn this because holy buckets, 
this uh, the pope is you'll learn more about the pope here and what his true role is I want to tell you, I after we stopped, I started asking him a little bit more questions. And they went into this whole thing. I said, wait a minute, this is too important. And we started talking about the bankruptcy of the United States and what Trump was doing and, and then how Biden does, you know, is... I said, okay, let's have you after for my members. And then that will be the topic of one of our next shows because we have to talk about the bankruptcy of the United States. And I guess we've been through bankruptcy five or six times here in the United States and what not not the country it's the corporation the corp and all our all of our states and our city everybody's incorporated and and so are which makes sense to me to run it that way but all of the different units of the um the government are are incorporated and it's it's just a it's it's a really good education on what things really are and then he also talks about the person people thing and you know how they do this fictional they create these legalese that where a word has two meanings and that's what they did with person it, it is a the person is you know in english it means a person you know you're walking around but in legal terms it means a corporate a corporation for the single people for the living woman or man and they just it's all fraud it's all bs i mean if we all woke up today and we said this is BS. We are not going to follow it. We are going to reinstate what common law is, and we're just going to, you guys are criminals. You're fraudulent criminals. Apparently in Roman law, if you recognize the fraud and you call them on it, then they can't do it, and it's criminal. But if you don't ever recognize it, they can get away with it. That's Roman law, which is, we need to grow humanity, and as a human uh, populace, as a species, and say, this enough is enough. These guys are nuts. And we got to get rid of this fraud that's baked into the system and take it back and unwind it. The problem is, is that because we, there's more of them than us in, in the sense that they've brainwashed so many people, people believe their system. And so we can't just say, done, we're done with it. We have to work within their legal framework until, I mean, if, if 90% of us said this is BS, we're not going to follow your fraudulent system, then we could just rebuild it and be fine. But because the majority of the people are brainwashed and working within their system and don't understand, we have to work within their legal system. And there's a means of doing it. That's why I want to do this, this series with them. And then all the history behind it is so fascinating because you haven't heard history like this. I mean, explain true history. And who knows, he probably doesn't have every bit of history. And because, you know, we, there's so much that are that is hidden and rewritten, but this is, is so awesome. It's so great. Okay, so remember, I for my members at sarahwestall.tv or at Ebonier, I have an exclusive for you. And I also want to remind you to please go to my website at sarahwestall.com. Sign up for my newsletter so that you can get uh, notices of everything that's going on. And this is a long show. It's a two-parter. I'm sure it's going to be long every time because it just is. <laughs> He's, he likes to talk and I like to listen. So it's going to be uh, probably long every time. But look for the second part of this as well. And here comes my chat with Bobby Graves. Hi, Bobby. Welcome to the program. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to talk to you. I watched your, I think it was a three-part history lesson about the history in the United States. And I was so intrigued. I said, this guy is amazing. I need to get him on. And I was hoping we could, I mean, maybe even do a series out of this, but 
I wanted to ask you so many questions. I had so many questions after watching that. Um, before we get into this, can you tell people kind of, I mean, you're a hist historian. I, I assume you're self, are you self-taught? I mean, what is, I mean, your whole life you spent researching history. Well, I've always had a curious mind and every once in a while I tripped over something that didn't fit. And it would always raise a question as to how come. My father was the same way. He was completely uneducated, didn't even finish the eighth grade, but he couldn't stop going to night school simply because he wanted to know more about things. And he did a very good job. He was very intelligent. He just didn't have all the information. And I think I might have inherited some of that. <laughs> so family history, of course, was important to me. And being a frontier family, coming out to Oregon in 1847, we got out here while it was still British. And I was kind of aware that other countries owned this country. And when we finally got ourselves into the United States, we had to contract with them to occupy their land. So the Northwest Treaty and all that stuff, and donation land claims, that all started becoming real to me. And that's why I just kept going and I was looking for a way to start the American story and I couldn't find a place to start because it was like a domino. It's like stepping into a giant cobweb yeah. and wondering which strand to pull first. <laughs> you know, it's all connected together. Well, I had to go all clear back to William. Go ahead. You had to go all the way clear back to William the Conqueror was the only flat place I could start because it was kind of quiet there just before the first crusades got started. And in his life he did an awful lot to affect what we do today. When William finally went against his cousin's regime, and that would have been Edward the Confessor at that time. The king he of was England? first cousin to William. Well, at that time he was. Edward the Confessor was older, and he was from Normandy originally. His family, they were Viking root. William was a Viking root, and William's father was first cousins to Edward the Confessor. When Edward went to Normandy to in exile because another Viking group was running around London and he wanted to keep from getting his head cut off. So he was up there for 20 years in exile. He knew William growing up, promised him the kingdom. But then on his deathbed in 1066, he didn't. He gave it to the son of his strongman behind the throne, a guy named Goodwin. His son's name was Harold and he got the kingdom. Well, that really made William upset because he was expecting to be no longer a duke. He was going to be a king. So he crossed the channel and engaged Harold in a battle and brought a, a, a few horses with him, I guess. And it changed the day. So he won and became king of England. But he went back to Normandy and the kings of England lived in France. They didn't live in England. Nobody liked England. The weather was terrible. Several generations go by and you find the English King John losing his crown for misbehaving as a king, because by that time, the Pope had asserted enough power over kings by crowning the kings that he could influence uh, how a king act. The Battle of Ruddymede was a diplomatic battle behind Stirling uh, Windsor Palace, and John lost his crown and it became the crown of England on Pope's property. Well, how did the Pope get that property? That's exactly well, the Knights right. Templar were not, yeah, Knights Templar were bankers as well as everything else. They were very good bankers. They planted the Pope's flag in the middle of a piece of property that had once been part of Rome. It was called London. 
can you tell before you go into this deeper can you tell people who the knights templar were really were i mean it's a it's a name and a group that we all hear all the time but what were they really well that's a kind of a mystery in itself because we all know that they they carried the roman cross and they went into the holy land theoretically to protect the road so pilgrims could actually engage and see the holy relics at a time when the holy lands were in fact being uh, i guess controlled by an arab group led by a turk uh, they were pretty effective in their battle strategy and the knights templar started out and the what i had undercovered was that they were originally were nine jewish knights underground that had a map for holy relics that had been buried at the temple mount when they evacuated in the very first century rome came in and destroyed the temple of solomon and they hid a lot of things down in the deep parts of that mount they wanted an excuse to be on site so they got a, a warrant to go there and protect roads but they camped on top of the temple temple mount and when they went down into the caverns and got these artifacts and brought them before the Pope, the Pope had to bow down to them because these were very important for some reason and we don't know what it was. Everyone's wondered what it was they brought out of there that scared the church to death. And they were given uh, sovereign rights to everything. No more taxes, no more duties, no more toll roads, bridges, ferries, everything was free to them. And they had a fleet of ships. Well, they became fractional bankers. The Jews could not charge interest if they loaned money to a fellow Jew. In Islam, it was the same thing. You didn't loan money to another Muslim and charge interest. And Christians are supposed to be the same way. So the Knights Templar stepped in between all three factions, loaned money for them, charged a high rate of interest, and shared the profits. So they got around their own laws, and the Templars had a niche in the middle, made a lot of money. They eventually- It's just an illusion for them though, correct? I mean, when you do stuff like that, you're just- kind of fooling yourself because you're still doing it oh, you're know. just yeah go ahead yeah well you know who they are they are the pirates the skull and uh, crossbones was the templar flag on the oceans of the mediterranean when they wanted to take the cargo off of another vessel they ran up their flag and the vessel better stop and let them have the cargo if not they ran a red flag up underneath it which meant no quarter and they killed everybody on the crew and sunk the boat so that's a Knights Templar in, in, now did they, you said they're sovereign. Now did the Pope direct their activity or did, because they said the church bowed down to them. So were they kind of on their own or, I mean, how was that working at that point? Well, they were working on behalf of the church in one hand and, and amassing a great fortune in the other and made the church kind of jealous. What happened was we had more than one crusade and the Templars were very active on the Second Crusade where they actually lost the Holy Land and had to leave there. And on the Third Crusade, by this time, Richard had become King of England and he was living in Normandy. He never spoke English. He never lived in England. He hated the place, didn't want to go there at all. He wanted to find a buyer so he could sell the darn thing. He said the, the weather was so bad. And that's Richard the Lionheart. He lived in France, spoke French. And he left from Marseille on the third crusade and successfully reestablished a way for pilgrims to go to the holy land relics again when he came back it wasn't long before he died of a it looks like an arrow wound that festered 
He died in 1198. Well, in 1209, the official Fourth Crusade began against the southern part of France. The Pope, together with the French king, went out to remove the Cathar people, who had a parallel Christian history that was much older than the Roman church. They didn't want any competition, so they went down there and the story is they burned about a million two hundred thousand people alive to purify them. So it was a very brutal thing. And in that process, John, who then inherited the kingdom of England, still living in Normandy with his mother and his father owning a third of what is today France, began to lose all their lands. He eventually had to leave the continent, go back to the Isles. And he was constantly trying to go back and reclaim family land. And that's why France and England fought a 100-year war and a 30-year war and a seven-year war. And it just kept going and going and going. And finally, it was our Revolutionary War. It was really France and England fighting through Washington. So our history was all wrapped up in this mess of Europe and the power of people that were kings and the kind of law that they were under. And the banking was enforced by the law, and the law was influenced by the banking through the money. So they became a symbiotic partner. Well, our founders couldn't tolerate it anymore, and they didn't want anything to do with that anymore, and they declared us independent. For the very first time, we decided we were not going to be part of anything over there, done through and finished. Well, we fought a war over it. The French came in and won it for us at Yorktown, but within a few years, they had to have a central government. They had 13 individual nations. They didn't necessarily work together very well. They needed a central government. Well, 12 of the 13 submitted working drafts. And by the time they got to 1787, it was boiled down to three. And then Madison was supposed to have been the one who took the better parts of all three and created the first constitution. They decided that the quorum for vote would be nine of the 13, and they had nine people sign it in the fall of 1787, Freedom Hall, Philadelphia, which is the capital of the nation. Well, that worked fine, but they wanted 100% ratification. When they didn't have 100% ratification, they had to run around. It took four years. Rhode Island was holding out to the very end. And in that four-year period, they created the federal government because the Constitution for the United States of America, unincorporated, is the power and the authority to create a federal government. So here they are, not even liking each other, having terrible arguments, trying to find a government that would work. And everything they had as models always failed. Dem democracy never worked. Those governments are ruled by mob and they always fell apart. Dictatorships come and go all the time. Kingdoms are awful because there's good kings and bad kings. Well, they had to do something different. And that's when I think it was a debate as to who came up with the idea of letting the people govern themselves. And that's what our constitution did. So how do you do it? Well, you have to have a federal government, a working government to engage the world in trade and whatnot. How do you do that? So they divided it kind of like parliament divided itself years before. The nobles on one side of the aisle, the common people on the other side of the aisle. So we divided our government. We had two houses, a territorial house that managed territories and the military, and a municipal house that managed the trade, the merchant marine fleet, uh, civil service operations. And they all operated out of the district of Columbia that Washington had personally surveyed. 
Well, the real capital is Philadelphia, but the working capital was Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. then had two houses of government. They didn't necessarily agree most of the time, and sometimes they butted heads. Many people, when I talk to them, cannot get their mind around the idea that we had two houses of government, and that's the separation of powers. They've always been told in school that it's judicial, executive, and legislative, and that's just the departments of one of the houses. They both have those houses. So what is the separation of powers? Well, it turns out that the original unincorporated constitution that gave, I guess, power and authority to create these things, they also gave in their document the fact that the states themselves, sovereign nations, everyone, but at the same time bound by the union, we have a federation of American states that was formed right after the declaration. Those people actually were smarter than we gave them credit. They said that the republic form of government lives in the county government. It's where the people assemble. They take care of local issues and they have delegates to the state, which is an assembly also. That represents the state government and it's only by people not persons, and that's a big thing, because people are living and have a soul and they're under their creator. And a person is a legal fiction. He's incorporated. Can you talk about the part, there's two things I want you to expand on a little bit that you just said. One is the fact that there is two um, branches of government here that mm -hmm. each had their, the three branches of government, and we're only yep. taught about one. And the other thing that, that you just said is the difference of what person is. And person is a straw man, legal fiction. Can you talk about how they, the, the kings and everybody use this person, oh this boy. legal <laughs> entity? There's your cobweb. That yeah, goes back to I, the Phoenicians. When you had war on the Mediterranean and the ships would lose cargo for one reason or another, it could be military, it could be just weather they were responsible for replacing the losses of cargo that the merchants owned on the ships. And so there was a time when they had to figure out how to avoid being responsible for paying off these lawsuits. So they created this idea of having a legal fiction represent the boat. And we know it as incorporation. So you make a legal fiction and you ship through the name of the legal fiction. And if you get into trouble, it's going to cost you a lot of money. You just close close the corporation and poof, it's gone. There's nobody to sue because it's not there anymore. We call it bankruptcy, but that's all it is, closing of the corporation. And then they could make a new corporation. Then where did they come up with the, the word person? Government? Was person a new word back well, then? That, or was it always, because it just seems like an English word for me. It it but did they make it up for purpose of legal and then it morphed into this big confusion? Well, that's just a story here that in early Rome, they had conflict of laws between what was the Republic of Rome and then the Imperial of Rome after Julius Caesar. And when in the early 500s, Justinian became the big high guy in Rome, he wanted to codify these so they wouldn't be in conflict. And in the process, he struck upon this idea of deceiving people by a dual meaning of words. Therefore, you could get somebody to accidentally contract and incriminate themselves when they didn't even know it. And the court had a choice of taking it the way the people thought it was or making their own definition. And it's been known as the great Just Justinian deception. That is still with us today. They do it right now, right now. 
they do it all the time with double meanings of words and That's it's right. the whole legalese speak and that's that right. is the number one thing that needs to go away, honestly, because that's it. fraud well, embedded into the system. But keep going. Well, in our own history, Abraham Lincoln was a bar attorney out of the Illinois area. Bar means British. Even attorneys today out of law school do not agree with me, and they don't know their own history. The British accredited registry is the bar, and they're all over the world, and they are enforcing the law of British law, they call it King's Law in law school, but in fact, it's Roman law. And it came through the Pope, through the Kings into England and became known as Admiralty Law and Special Admiralty Law. Now, the backstory was that Eleanor of Aquitaine, when she was married to Louis VII, left the Second Crusade, had come across this idea of Admiralty Law, a version of sea law, and brought it back to her new husband, which when she remarried to Henry II. He was 10 years younger than her, but she planted it at that point. And it finally made its way into England as an admiralty system. The admiralty law only deals with that which is incorporated. Sea law is that which is incorporated. And if sea law and admiralty law, and now in America, our courts are all British admiralty law. Well, where did that happen? That's not what the founders created at all. They broke away from that, fought a war over that. And now here it is, we're living with it. It's Abraham Lincoln. When he came into power, he was not eligible to be president of the Republic. He was a bar attorney. And in our constitution, bar attorneys are not allowed to hold a public office. Well, he made his own corporation in Delaware called the United States of America, Inc. And then he called Congress together and made him swear an allegiance to his new territorial corporation. And then he initiated a war by seceding from the Republic and created a conflict of mercenary nature against the South. Well, why would he ever go to all that trouble? And how did he get elected in the first place? He spent 10 times what everybody else did in the election, and he didn't have that kind of money. Somebody was behind him doing this whole thing, and we find that it was France and England that designed this civil war so that they could get more access to cotton to feed the industrial revolution of textile mills. So they put Lincoln in place. Lincoln was to start a war between the North and the South using slavery as the reason to justify it to the people and to England's people. And then after we were weakened, the British would come out of Canada and the French would come out of Mexico and they'd take their colonies back and put an end to this whole experiment with government by the people. Well, it didn't work because they had a West Coast that was already now California in 1850, 1850 was a state. Oregon had its constitution written in 1857 and was submitting it for approval. So they invited Russia to take the West Coast back and put an end to that. And Russia looked at the whole thing and said no. And they exposed the whole charade. They told everybody what was going on. They sent her whole fleet to our two coasts to patrol us, to protect us from France and England. Well, Alexander II got assassinated for that little bit, but he was interviewed one time. And they said, why was it that you came to the res rescue of this new republic? And he said, well, it wasn't about the fact that I was so enamored with the republic. It was the fact that, that the Industrial Revolution was affecting England and France, but not Russia. We were an agrarian society still. And if France and England got their hands on that southern cotton and went racing ahead in the economic world, we would never catch up. And he said, it wouldn't be good for my people. Simple as that. So he blew the whistle on it. 
and France and England both backed off. So then they tried another tactic. Gettysburg happened early in 1863, and Lincoln was quite shaken by it. And I think about that time, he began to realize he was being used. Big forces were using him, and he had done a lot of damage. He didn't know that before like, then? You think he was well, acting? Well, he knew he on something, but I don't think he knew the extent of the damage it was going to cause, because okay. Gettysburg was horrible. They said he looked like he had the flu. He was physically sickened. And this was by French, the original historian of Congress, was right there by his side at the Gettysburg Address. And French said that he looked physically ill by it. In April of the same year, he bankrupted both of the federal corporation uh, houses, which would be the municipal and the territorial, which left them open to being exploited by the very people they had contracts with, because these are contracts. Each one has its own constitution. There's the Constitution for the United States of America. That's territorial. There's the Constitution of, um, they're both of them of, the United States. That's the municipal. The parent is the Constitution for. Lincoln saw to it that wasn't being printed anymore. And right now today, you can't find a copy anywhere. There, it's not in any existence and I tried for years to get one and no one would admit to even having it. Finally we found a source and I have a picture of it. That one is unincorporated. He couldn't get rid of it by collapsing the corporation because it wasn't a corporation but he could collapse the two working parts of our government constitution of. England had the contract with the territorial. The Pope had the contract with the municipal. They both came in the king or the queen of the victorious uh, parliament came in in 1868, took our constitution of the United States of America and rewrote the title to make it a new document by changing the font, and that's all it takes in legalese, and then re-recorded us in Edinburgh, Scotland. So from 1868 until 1907, our country and our military was run out of Edinburgh, Scotland. All our treaties with the Indians were done with a Scottish corporation representing Britain. The municipal 10 years later did the same thing with the Pope. Well, why would they do that? The Pope owned the world as of 1302 when he did his Unum Sanctum papal bull, uh, a decree. He owns all the souls of the people on the planet and all the land of the planet, and he wrote it as the known world. Well, it was a flat earth, and it was in, in Europe only, but it grew, and we had to have a contract to occupy his land. And then England, of course, had placed their flag on the western side of the United States, and all the way from Louisiana line clear to the Pacific coast was British land. We had to have a contract to operate and live and occupy their land. So we have these treaties. The Northwest Treaty allowed us to move into that land. When my family came to Oregon, we were squatting on British land. And the British uh, authority was out of what we call Vancouver Barracks, which is in lower Washington on the Columbia River. But they didn't have enough people to hold it down. And we were populating the place so fast that by It'd be uh, 1848, yeah, 1848, we were accepted by the United States as a territory of the United States. And in 1849, within just a few months later, we immediately had our assembly. It was called Clackamas, today it's called Oregon City. And my grandfather was there 
and he became a, a councilman, which was later called a senator, out of the Yamhill district. Well, the reason that they did that was that was the way the republic works. You have a assembly at the county level, and you have a state assembly, and these are only populated by people, not persons. You have to be a living man or a living woman to participate. Well, a person got put in there during Lincoln's administration in order to control people because in 1862, he decreed and the Congress supported him that a person is a legal fiction and a dead entity has no soul, therefore can be bought and sold freely. And so that, that, that was their way to get around the Pope? Well, that was one of the ways. The Pope used it too. All of his laws had to do with overseeing that which is a legal fiction. Uh, he decreed that because he crowned the kings, and the kings then were subordinate to his ecclesiastic court that way, and he had his own system of law, that he could control commerce because the kings had commerce between them, and now he controlled the crowns of the kings. So therefore, he then made himself in charge of, we called it the global estate, a trustee of the global estate. He oversaw anything that was incorporated to make sure it operated lawfully. And he has an army of people right now today to do that. Vicar generals, they're all over the world and we have one in every state. In Oregon, we have one on the East Burnside. What are they called? They're supposed to be looking at that, vicar generals. Okay. They're supposed to look at corporations and if they do anything in, unlawful, they're supposed to be able to liquidate them with a the stroke of a pen. They and can they and have they? They have and they can, but they don't normally do it. There's more okay. money in corruption than there is in lawful uh, operation. And the Pope has not been doing his job. And the vicar generals as a whole have not been doing their job all over the world. So the world has become incorporated everywhere.